Welcome to the Jazz Shapers podcast from Mishkondorea. What you're about to hear was originally broadcast on Jazz FM. However, the music has been cut due to rights issues. This is Jazz Shapers with Elliot Moss on Jazz FM. In partnership with Mishkondorea. It's business, but it's personal. Listening colour. Welcome to Jazz Shapers with me, Elliot Moss, bringing the pioneers of the business world together with the musicians shaping the worlds of jazz, soul and blues. My guest today is F.A. Chakaral, founder and CEO of MUBI, the film streaming service. Raised in Izmir, Turkey, F.A.'s love of film began during childhood visits to the local art house cinema with his mother. But it was excelling at mathematics that shaped his direction. First as a member of the Turkish national mathematics team that came third in the 1994 European Math Olympiad, I'll ask him why they didn't win, and later in his career at Goldman Sachs in London and New York. It was while sat in a Tokyo cafe, disappointed to learn Wong Kar-wai's film In the Mood for Love was unavailable online, that F.A. had an idea. He decided to create an online cinema to, as he says, provide access to masterpieces to audiences around the world. Recruiting two computer engineers to develop the prototype, F.A. launched the Auteurs, as it was then called in 2007, before renaming the business Mubi three years later. Mubi is now a global streaming platform, a production company and a theatrical distributor, with plans to build its first physical movie theatre in Mexico City. And in April last year, F.A. established the UK Cinema Fund, supporting independent cinemas, film festivals and organisations affected by the pandemic. Brilliant to have you here. Thank you. Mubi. Firstly, tell me why Mubi is the name. The name of the company was originally The Auteurs. And that's a very difficult name to pronounce, to spell. So if you're building and if you have an ambition to build a global brand, that was not going to work out. So I, I, I decided that we needed to change it. And this time I approached it very scientifically. It needed to be a name that could be pronounced across many different cultures, languages. And if you actually, you know, really study this, the best names are four-letter consonant-vowel, consonant-vowel names. <laughs> you know, so, so, so these are names that, that can be, and not every consonant, like it needs to be premium ones. So, for example, X cannot be pronounced. It doesn't even exist in some some alphabets. So it's M and V and B and V. So, uh, so Visa, Coke, like these are names. Nike. That Does Nike, Nike, Nike is exactly. a good one. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Nike has a, had a problem with Nike and Nike. Mm. Um, but yes, those are names that can be easily pronounced, written, remembered. So there is a combination of about, you know, when you do the math, about 3,000 or so of these and they're all taken. So I asked my creative friends around the world, like, can you come up with the name with this structure? And everybody started to send me, like, Buki, Tupo, Kutu. I didn't like anything. <laughs> uh, one day I'm in Tokyo again. The creative director of uh, an agency called Dentsu, one of the biggest ones, is um, a friend, and he calls me and he says, Efe, we had a brainstorming last night, and I think we have the name of your company. I'm like, tell me. He's like, no, I know you're in Tokyo. Why don't you come to the, come to the office? And I went right away. And the Dansu's headquarters is this you know, huge skyscraper, as you can imagine, and this huge lobby. I, I entered the lobby, and I saw uh, a name projected huge on uh, one of the walls, Mubi. <laughs> I'm like, oh, my God, I think this is it. And that was it. I fell in love with it immediately. Of course, it's taken Mubi.com. You need the .com. 
it was taken by um, someone in Pakistan in '94 when ICANN made the registration of the domain names available. Is the initials of his name Musarraf uh, B something, uh, and it was the name of his shop. He fixed electrical appliances uh, outskirts of uh, Karachi, and <laughs> uh, I called him. He doesn't speak. He's, his English is like way worse than mine. Um, and uh, and I'm trying to explain him that I would love to get the movie.com. And he's like, no, no, like I can't give you my shop like my neighbors. <laughs> and, you know, he fixes like refrigerators and radios. I'm like, no, no, I don't want the shop. I just want to. So at the end of the day, we couldn't communicate what we really needed. I, I ended up buying the whole shop for $14,000. <laughs> <laughs> I wired him the money and my lawyers in the U.S. is freaking out because they don't want to consolidate a Pakistani entity. And uh, so we gave him back all the assets immediately and he's super confused because he's like, well, I got the money and I get to keep my shop. Like, Anyways, if, if we ever go public... I want him to ring the bell in New York Stock Exchange. <laughs> I got to tell you, I've been doing this a while. I have never heard such a brilliant reason <laughs> and process for getting to a name. And I'm just going to pause there for a moment because this is just going to be brilliant. This is the first time I'm talking about this in in public. Like you know, my good friends know about the story, of course, and the people at Movie know it. But yeah, we never talked about it. <laughs> I love the story. Stay with me for uh, what's going to be a fantastic ride here on. Jazz Shapers with my business shaper, F.A. Chakarel. So you set this business up in 2007. Here we are 15 years later. Easy ride, right? <laughs> no battle scars. Straight line from, from, from starting uh, it to, to incredible growth. That no, must be the story, F.A. No, it's been a very difficult, difficult journey. Um, the first 10 years was very difficult. I mean, we all hear about stories of... Instagrams and Airbnbs and these these wonderful companies that just took off immediately. But building a business is, is a very difficult uh, thing. Um, and uh, especially for me, because uh, I'm an engineer, I know how to build this stuff, but I didn't know much about the industry that I'm getting into. I mean, the film business in 2007, when I decided to do this, um, I could build it. But I've like never been to a film festival, really. The the market like Cannes or Venice or Berlin. I don't know how this industry works. I just thought that I could just uh, build a platform and show movies. And uh, it took me three years before I could even sign my first rights deal to be able to show a single movie on uh, on movie. So no, it's been a very difficult journey. <laughs> I'm going to pick up on the difficult journey because I think things in the last few years have shifted, obviously, yeah. and you've, you've gone through those that the hard 10 years. And that's a, I say that as if it's just like a moment. I mean, 10 years is a hell of a long time. But, I used to look so much younger. I mean, nobody can see how I look right now, but yeah. <laughs> you look you look lovely. No, you, for you. 74, honestly, <laughs> you look great. There's no, there's no problem. Almost 80. <laughs> Almost 82. Um, but the... The engineer in you, and, and you know, and I, I was I was reading about you, and we mentioned at the beginning the the, the mathematics. I'm very disappointed you only came third, by the way, in 1994. My just, father was also very disappointed. I'm not surprised. Thank I'm with you very him. Much. I'm with him. Um, the, you went to Massachusetts Institute of Technology, MIT. You did a master, an MBA, rather in Stanford. You're obviously quite smart when it comes to, as you said, understanding how things work and building things. I also read that you didn't learn how to read until you were, I don't know, eight. Eight. So education for you in the context of what you do now. So you said you're an engineer, but you didn't really know the oh. industry. 
there's something going on for me as I looked at this. And I went, what, what's your view about being an entrepreneur <laughs> and what you really need to know versus the path that you took to get to this point? No, I think, I think it's really important to listen to yourself and your gut feeling because even at uh, 18, that's not a very young age, you, you, you kind of know what you want to do with your life and um, you know where you want to develop yourself. You don't necessarily know precisely what you're going to be doing, but you know what your interests are. For me, my journey, it was you know very particular because I come from a very traditional family and we were in the electrical engineering business and I'm the only son in the family. And I was literally, I was being grown, raised all my life to take over one day the family business in electrical engineering. It was inconceivable for me to do anything else with my life. And I wanted to study like architecture. And um, and when I got into MIT, of course, you know, I, I had to study electrical engineering. But when I went there, it was 1994. This was uh, an incredible time. It was, you know, that September, the, the Netscape, the Mosaic, that browser was launched. And I found myself in the middle of this new thing called the Internet. And it was fascinating, even though it was very, very early. And I decided to study computer science as well. And that was the beginnings of me getting confidence in myself. I studied both electrical engineering and computer science. I had to study electrical engineering, as I said. But then, uh, you know, coming to the end of those four years, I still didn't quite knew what I wanted to do with my life. Uh, so, you know, I, I, so I joined Goldman Sachs, <laughs> right? And, um, and, and I thought that whatever I was going to be doing in life, I, I needed to have some financial uh, skills. I could be uh, running a company. I could be a manager somewhere. Um, I mean, I didn't have any talent. So by definition, I was going to be in business. Um, <laughs> and, you're way and, too honest no, and, and, and if you think about it like your company is going to make some financial decisions it's going to raise capital, it's going to issue debt it's going to go public, it's going to you know, buy another company so I said why don't I spend a number of years working with some really smart people building a foundation that it would open me up to, uh, to do you know, whatever I want to do and there were some good examples of that and I was very fortunate to, to get into Goldman and I had an exceptional four years there but then I got an, I got an advice from, uh, from someone that I really looked up to. And I like to spend a lot of time with people who are you know, older than me and more experienced. He said, look, there are really three things you can do. You're either going to be an advisor, which is what I was doing at Coleman, or you're going to be a manager, an operator, which is what I'm doing now, or you're going to be an investor. Right? It's very important in your 20s for you to experience these three fields and decide what you want to build your career on. And in your 30s, you gain a lot of experience. In your 40s is when real value creation happens. So that became my framework. And I was restless, you know, 24 years old, Goldman going really great. Um, so, so I wanted to take a step back. And that's when I decided to go to Stanford, because after those two years, then I could then decide what I want to do. And then I founded this and I feel like I'm so lucky because I found exactly what I want to do with my life. So, so yes, it had worked out for me. <laughs> Stay with me for much more from my business show today. It's F.A. Chakarel. Um, he's the founder of Mubi. And I think he's quite happy he made that decision. We're going to be hearing much more from him in a couple of minutes. But right now we're going to hear a taste from the Mishcon Innovation Series, which can be found on all the major podcast platforms. Natasha Knight invites business founders to share their industry insights and practical advice for those of you thinking about getting into an industry and starting your very own thing, as FA has. In this clip, focused on entering the arts industries, we hear from Fabian Riggle. 
founder and chief creative officer of Secret Cinema. The Mishcon Innovation Series. Insights from founders for your future business. In association with Jazz Shapers, with Mishcon Derea. I never raised any capital at the beginning. It was always about basically putting the tickets on sale, the money would come in, and then we'd spend it on the show. And which is always a bit of a risky way. Most theatre producers or you know film producers will raise the capital from investors and then you know build the shows. But we, the actual audience, were always investing in the shows, and it gave us that freedom to not have to like compromise for a long time. We never had to answer to anyone. We just created the show. And that's the thing I would say to anyone who's got a good idea is it's critical to make sure that you do your thing and you you don't get too compromised by the money that comes in. Now it's a very exciting time because essentially everything is up for reinvention and including the way that artists release work and how that work is owned to any budding entrepreneur make sure that you legally understand what you're doing the management system the label system the representation system the ownership of of your of the masters or the ownership of your film yeah things are shifting and i think it's just extraordinary the the resource that you have now to build an enterprise or a, you know you can literally with a thousand people that follow you you can create a business so that's just your family or friends and then times five the Mishcon Innovation Series, in association with Jazz Shapers, with Mishcon Derea. Jazz Shapers on Jazz FM, in partnership with Mishcon Derea. It's business, but it's personal. You can revel in all our former business shapers on the Jazz Shapers podcast, and indeed you can hear this very program again if you pop Jazz Shapers into your podcast platform of choice. Or if you have a smart speaker, why not ask it to play Jazz Shapers? And there you'll find a taster of our recent shows. But back to today's guest is F.A. Chakarel, founder and CEO of MUBI, the film streaming service. Just before, I, w- I want to go back to the, the distinction you made in a moment between advisor, manager and investor. Mm-hmm. MUBI, just give me some stats now. I, I read something around 9 million subscribers. Tra- around 12 million. It's gone up. Numbers. That was fast, wasn't it? Yeah. It was only yesterday. Well done. 3 well, million we overnight. Had, we, yes, we've been growing really significantly over the past couple of years. So you've got 12 million and it's film only as opposed to some of the other streaming platforms. We focus on film. The other streaming platforms skewed heavily towards TV Yes, and they're doing a good job. But movie focuses on cinema. Cinema, biggest country or biggest number of subscribers today? Well, uh, used to be UK, but uh, currently US just took over UK. Even though in US no one quite knows about us yet, it's um, the scale is really big. And um, in terms of, I want to just go back to those 10 years a second and then we'll come back to the other thing. You hung on in there, right? And you, you, you stayed. Why? What made you think, you know what, even though this is tough, even though it took me three years to get the rights to the first film, even though I didn't know the industry, even though this isn't growing, even though I've got no cash, hmm. why, why did you stick it out? Um, because I knew that I was working on something that has an audience. We were just very early. 2007, if you go back, when we started the auteurs, now Mubi, to show movies on the internet, YouTube has just been around for about two years, even though we started to watch long format video, but it was very, very early. But I knew that the consumer experience was going to significantly shift to TCP IP protocol, which is all these devices. 
you know, the iPhone didn't exist, the iPad didn't exist, the smart TVs didn't exist, but it was going to move to this. And also, you know, if just you, you look at how difficult it is to execute a content-driven business because it's very capital intensive. Only a handful of really big corporations were going to be in this game, which is the case. So we, um, we strategized that right. And they were going to try to go after the mass audience. What I'm doing, focusing on really great cinema for an independent classic art house, that is a smaller niche. And I knew we could create this wonderful service to, uh, to super serve a film-loving uh, audience. And there will be this white space that is not really being looked after by the big media corporations. So I had this strategy. I had this vision. I knew this was going to come together. It just took 15 years for it to come together. <laughs> <laughs> it just took a little bit longer than I thought it might. But in, and in those 15 years, there's been a lot of funding. So you have basically raised the flag and said, hello, I'm over here. Yeah. Invest in me. People have bought into the vision. I assume, Effa, they buy into you. Because often I talk to people about funding. What have they bought into? Yeah, so the, when we first started, the first year, we were building just, you know, the, the prototype. We didn't really have a, you know, have a business, of course. I started working out of a cafe in uh, Palo Alto called uh, Cupa Cafe. I would go there every morning, order some coffees, and then I recruited an engineer, uh, flew him from, uh, I found him in the open source and flew him from, uh, from India. And then another engineer joined me, and three of us were just building the code base of movie uh, in a cafe. I, actually, years, years later, uh, the South China Post, the biggest newspaper in, the, in, in Hong Kong, interviewed me and asked the beginnings of movie. And I told them the story. Um, and then something got lost in translation. The article came out, the heading, from barista to internet entrepreneur. <laughs> they thought that I was working at Kupa Cafes. You know, and I, anyway, so it started like that. And the first seed round, we raised $750,000, 2009, it was just friends and family. And nobody invested in a, in a two-page uh, business plan. They, they invested in my ability to figure it out. One of my best friends, you know, from Goldman, uh, Giacomo, I literally called him Sunday night. I said, look, you know, I, I sent you the, the business plan on, on, on Friday. This is coming together. I don't want to close it without you. And he just, he just like sent me a message with a, with a number. He had no idea about the business that I'm starting. He had no idea what the deal is. He just wired the money, right? And, uh, and this is how it started. The business plan is something completely different now, of course. Uh, but yes, when you're first starting, people invest in your ability to figure out, not the business plan. And that's how I invest today in entrepreneurs as well. We've gone through loads of stuff already. I feel like we've talked about funding and the fact that you people trusted you to figure it out rather than saying, oh, this plan's amazing. They looked at you and they said, you know, you're the guy. In terms of the vision that you've then expanded and the fact that you've gone into bringing things to life physically, the plans for Mexico, the fact that you're now in the production business, were these just natural extensions of the streaming service or were they to you fundamental to giving credibility to the streaming service itself? Mm -hmm. Well, the vision has always been not to just be a streaming service, but to be a destination for great cinema. Uh, let's talk about us buying all rights of the films and, and releasing them. We could just simply license it from, uh, say, a distributor who would buy a film. But we are buying the films because we want to theatrically release them and give it as wide a release as possible in cinemas 
even though I'm a stream, you know, basically, essentially a streaming business. Why? Because I do want to watch these films on the big screen. And my audience would like to watch these films on the big screen. So it's very important for us to, um, to do that. And you become the distributor and then the movies after cinemas come exclusively on uh, movie, but then, you know, they continue their, their journey. And then, of course, you start really understanding the, you know, the creative process and you're getting close to the, the directors and the producers that you work with to release these films. Uh, and you want to support them at an earlier stage in their journey and you get into production. So we started to also invest in producing and co-producing these films. And we think that in the long run, in order to actually create a sustainable and competitive advantage, you have to be producing your own own content. So our vision from these very humble beginnings to over the next decade or so to become a modern studio from its production to distribution to its own direct-to-consumer play with our streaming service. So we are currently developing a lot of scripts with the view that by 2024, 2025, we'll be greenlighting them and we'll be actually producing our, uh, our own movies. And it's been a fascinating, uh, fascinating journey. And tomorrow you're going to find out whether you've won some awards at the BAFTAs. Oh, um, we have four films uh, that had nominations at the BAFTAs and two films, six nominations at the Oscars coming up in just a couple of weeks. So we've been we've been really really fortunate that the films that you know we we bought and we own in many territories around the world is being recognized. So the films at the BAFTAs, the worst person in the world, Petit Maman, and uh, Cow, uh, Andre Arnold, uh, and Drive My Car, uh, and Drive My Car and the worst person got together six nominations at the Oscars. These are all wonderful wonderful uh, films that uh, we are very proud and honored to be uh, to be a part of. Martin Scorsese referred to Mubi as the last vestige of keeping the conversation of cinema alive. And it sounds like he may well be right. Stay with me for my final chat with my guest today. It's F.A. Chakarel, not just a creator of a streaming service, but now the man behind some BAFTA and potential Oscar award-winning movies. We've also got the brilliant poetry from RH Factor. That's coming up in just a moment here on Jazz FM. Don't go anywhere. Jazz Shapers on Jazz FM. In partnership with Mish Kondorea. It's business, but it's personal. F.A. Chakaral is my business shaper just for a little bit longer. You started at the beginning, you said in 2007, there I was, I was an engineer, <laughs> and I went into an industry, didn't have a clue about it, but I knew I was going to build something, and then luckily, you know, you knew there'd be an audience, and, and here we are now. Your relationship with the industry today, F.A., with all the logical part that comes with being an engineer, both a computer scientist and an electrical engineer and everything else you've done, how does it feel to be in the industry, and do you now think you understand it? Well, you know, I spent 15 years of my life in the film film industry, and it started with a passion for the art, and it still continues to be a passion. When I'm in Cannes Film Festival, you know, there's all this red carpet and, you know, you know all this uh, wonderful, glamorous uh, thing that is happening, and then you walk the red carpet, you walk in, the curtains uh, close, and the film starts, and that's cinema. Like, my my knees shake from excitement before a premiere begins in Cannes. And, um, and I think what happened over time is that uh, the industry really started to uh, see how genuine we are with our passion for cinema. It was almost like the commercial considerations almost came 
second to presenting something wonderful and the art and passion of and for cinema. And that turned out to be, a, you know, in the end, a great business as well. But the, the starting point is, is love for cinema. And that was very apparent to the industry. And so people really genuinely became a part of this, this wonderful project. People actually would rather have movie invest in their movies than a pure film financier, because when movie invests in a film, it's not just the money, it's we bring our entire audience and passion and this this love for uh, for cinema, and we make a difference in how that film eventually also does uh, naturally. And all the things in your life that led up to you running movie. So, uh, you know, the fact you didn't learn to read till you were eight, the, the mathematics focus, the focus on engineering and all that. Was it all important, though, to get to the point where you can actually come back to what drives your heart? Mm. I mean, all those other things, although you say, I didn't want to become an electrical engineer and all those yeah. things, but actually, would you have changed no, it? like... For me to do what I'm doing, for movie to exist, it's not enough just to have the engineering capability to build it. It's also not enough to have a love for passion for cinema. You need to have both and at the highest level. You need to really understand cinema in order to acquire, produce, program, editorialize and present movies. But also when you press play, the thing needs to work, and it needs to work amazingly from Buenos Aires to Tokyo. And that's a very difficult engineering challenge to tackle. Um, you also need hundreds of millions of dollars to uh, <laughs> execute this vision, so you also need to really do need to understand finance and, uh, and how to, to have that language in order to be able to raise the kind of capital to realize your, uh, your dreams. So it's very unique uh, and very, very difficult to, to execute. That's why you've seen a lot of content-driven businesses who could never scale to become a streaming service. Even Canal Plus, with all the most important uh, films in, uh, in Europe, could not build a streaming service because they are not engineers. And a lot of Silicon Valley-based engineering businesses try to tackle streaming. They also failed because they don't understand content. Um, so yes, you needed to have both. And everything I've done from my engineering background to my time at uh, Goldman and my passion and love for cinema and, and spending a lot of late evenings in, in art house cinemas all over the world. Yes, all that came together for, for us to do what we are doing. It's been fascinating talking to you. You make it sound like it was all planned. These three little chips that you threw into the middle of the ring, obviously, the yeah. technical, the passion and the financial instruments and the financial modelling. Um, I'm very fortunate I think it's more than that. But listen, um, we've, we've loved having you. Congratulations and good luck um, with whatever happens tomorrow night and, and in the future with the Oscars as well. Fingers crossed. Just before I let you disappear, what's your song choice and why have you chosen it? I chose Sea Jam Blues. I was always fascinated with this uh, tune because it's, you know, as you know, it's so simple. Uh, it starts with only two notes, uh, C and G, and, uh, and it also offers a lot of creative possibilities for improvising and uh, and and that's been that's been fascinating to to also listen to what uh, many jazz uh, musicians have done with this tune created by Duke Ellington in the 40s but then has been interpreted by many people and then some some years ago I came across this 1964 recording of Oscar Peterson in uh, in Denmark and 
wow, I wish I was this age in 1964 <laughs> in Copenhagen watching that, right? Uh, and, and that's, to me, one of the greatest uh, uh, pieces of music and one of the greatest performances uh, on jazz piano ever. That was Oscar Peterson performing Duke Ellington's Sea Jam Blues 1964 version, Copenhagen, the song choice of my business shaper today, F.A. Chakarel. He talked about loving to spend time with older and wise people, and boy, has it served him well. He understood very early on and believed the fact that Mubi had an audience and has focused on that and on becoming, as he called it, a modern studio. And finally, I love the way he articulated it wasn't enough to be an engineer. It wasn't enough to have passion. It wasn't enough to understand how to raise money. You needed to do all three. Brilliant stuff from my trilingual business shaper today. That's it from me and Jazz Shapers. Have a lovely weekend. Jazz Shapers on Jazz FM. In partnership with Mishkondorea. It's business, but it's personal. We hope you enjoy that edition of Jazz Shapers. You'll find hundreds more guests available for you to listen to in our archive. To find out more, just search Jazz Shapers in iTunes or your favourite podcast platform or head over to mishcon.com forward slash jazzshapers.